the movies are also pretty smart. Like the, I remember there was some like physicists who say that among time travel movies, the first Bill and Ted is actually some of the more interesting. <laughs> and then the second one is basically kind of an existentialist slant with all the seven seal imagery. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they want to continue in that tradition, they could do some interesting things with the third one. Doesn't Death and say Cowabunga play, or something? They play Twister. It's been a while since I've seen the second one, but yeah, they do play Twister with Death instead of chess. Uh, I do love both those movies dearly. They're unrestrained, and I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to Filmhouse, everybody. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Postmates. Uh, I'm Daniel Schneider. We've got Adam Kovic, Lawrence Sontag, Jared from Wisecrack. What's hey, up, Jared. guys? Thank you for hey, having Jared. me. Always. Sorry, Jared. I don't know what your last name is. Bauer, but it's Bauer. okay. I, I rarely use it. I'm just Jared. You're just Jared. Just Jared. I always I remember it. One, it's in all the emails that we send back and forth. Okay. But then also, Jack Bauer. Oh, yeah. From I got, I got the 24 a, show. You jealous? I got a lot of that because for a lot, a lot of years, my email was Jay Bauer. People just assumed they, they wanted to believe it was Jack. <laughs> Man. I'm talking to him? He emails? <laughs> um, give us a little brief rundown on Wisecrack. Wisecrack is a channel that tries to focus on things from like philosophy to media studies to just trying to be, uh, try to celebrate critical thinking and culture analysis in as fun a way as possible. Absolutely. is is a lot of fun. Since uh, planning to do this, I've been watching a lot of Wisecrack, and I really dig it. Oh, thanks, so, man. I appreciate it. Thanks that. for doing the hard work. <laughs> I, I watch a lot of Funhouse, and I'm always trying to, because, you know, Ryan, who used to work with us, now works here, and I'm always trying to figure out, did Ryan edit this video? Because I feel like I'm so in tune to his editing style, so that's that's always fun for me. Thank yeah. you for that, by the way. Yeah. Oh, oh we, yeah. yeah. Ryan's thanks been, for Ryan. He's a great yeah. fit. Yeah. Good. I, I thought he would be. That's awesome. Glad to hear that. It's a little different that he's no longer doing a 30-minute uh, philosophy piece on why the Matrix revolution sucks versus yeah. he's doing a GTA gameplay where we're talking about like Ariana Grande or something. But well, I think he can definitely <laughs> spread his wings and do what he does best. <laughs> he seems to be here. I feel I feel like he kind of got bored at Wisecrack a little bit. Oh, but. I don't know. I, I, I definitely enjoy your guys' content. It is it's weird to watch because like I feel like we became friends and then it's like it's weird to watch your friends do stuff but yeah. like your guys' stuff is just becoming more and more recommended to me. Or ah, fuck it, let's just watch it. And oh, it's like, I was, thank you, algorithm. I was, no, I was literally just watching your uh, your guys's what went wrong with Matrix Reload and Revolutions right oh, before okay. this. I've yeah. seen them before, How and I was like, let's watch it again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I do some, nothing no. went wrong with Reloaded. A whole lot went wrong. If, with if anything, <laughs> actually, no. If anything, your guys' series pointed out more reasons for me to like it in a weird way. Hmm. Where I was like, oh I, wow, these movies are much smarter than I thought they dude, were. Dude, I even since we've made those videos, my I know this sounds super douchey, but my relationship to these movies is constantly changing. And every time I watch them, like, so for the second two movies, like, now that I'm just, I'm okay with the fact that they're not very good, like, movies, but they're really fun to think about. And for that reason, I like them again. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that yeah. was the only thing I ever took away from it is, yeah, they, they could have just made sequels, but I think in ways I'm sure we'll get into and the ways that the first Matrix deals with some very base-level philosophical questions, the second and third go fucking deep yeah. about, like, issues of free will and actualization yeah. and all that stuff. Determinism. It's awesome. Actually, Dan, and, uh, why are we talking about The Matrix? Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you guys spoiled it. But, no, uh, it's been oh, 20 sorry. years since The Matrix came out, which I think is kind of fucking hard to believe. Yeah. Um, March 31st, 1999, before the year 2000, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, cinema hasn't really been the same since The Matrix. They started a few new things. CGI was kind of revolutionizing the way uh, effects are working in films. Um, and the Wachowskis blew millions of minds, uh, showed us stuff we'd never seen before, mm-hmm. made us think about things that maybe no one had ever really thought about before, the way reality works, certain uh, 
philosophical issues that I'm sure we could touch on later. Um, that was the first trailer I remember seeing on TV where I went, I don't, it, it's like uh, the Simpsons when they saw Gabbo. <laughs> and it's just like, you're like, I don't know what that is, but I want it. It was an mm. interesting marketing campaign. Dude, yeah, it was, it was just, it was this. Yeah, it was like smoke, weird smoke background, dudes jumping over buildings, people mm. in leather, and then asking a question, what is the Matrix? And you're like, God, look you, at that watermark. you have to see it to find <laughs> out. Who made this movie? <laughs> uh, Papa Warner Brothers, our new parent company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> new daddy. I also uh, remember being the first like successful big like summer blockbuster that was so heady that not every human on the planet could even wrap their mind around it, yeah. um, which, whatever. I mean, lot, usually a lot, action, of, lot of confused parents going, yeah. I don't know what I saw. Yeah, I'd, there were a lot yeah. of people that just couldn't ra- couldn't grasp the basic concept, which most action movies are, woman gets stole, go blow up, everything. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think it's also notable for that, that the, the Wachowskis like, found a way to slip pretty pretty deep thoughts into an exploding movie. I have to imagine that there were at least a few people out there that had existential crises after seeing this movie. Were you one of them? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, dude, this movie, I mean, it's like what is not, the not, not not to overplug Wisecrack, but there wouldn't be a Wisecrack if it wasn't for this movie. The the whole idea of analyzing, I mean, this movie is the reason why I went to film school like Adam is because <sighs> this movie changed my life. Is like, you know, for the first time in my life when I was 12 years old watching in the theater, I was like, wow. Things may not be as they seem, yeah. and Wake that was up, like Jared. an explosion in my head. <laughs> and now, now it's interesting to think about this film because this whole idea of the red pill has been oh, appropriate. Yeah, it's been stolen. I'm just saying, not exactly in particular political movements mm-hmm. or anything, but this idea that you are being lied to. There is a veil of truth over mm-hmm. this movie. Is like like pure rebel culture. In a nutshell, well, and that used days. to be like hippie talk, and now it's almost like uh, an accepted thing. Well, no. yeah, one of the one of the interesting things that that kind of occurred to me as I was watching this is, and this this might be something we need to save when we're really in the shit of things, but <laughs> we are kind of in a moment right now between like algorithms determining what you see on social media that we do have AI determining our worldview, which is yeah. kind of what this movie is entirely about. Yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting that as as much as this is about sweet kickflips and sweet gunfights. Uh, it did kind of predict the future in a, in a kind of eerie way. Well, they the I like to think of the Wachowskis as sort of a a way nerdier version of Quentin Tarantino, where he's sort of a tastemaker. Mm. And I wouldn't know anything about April March had he not put it in his Grindhouse movie. But I I now feel cool because I'm like Quentin said it was cool, so now I like it. Same with them; they were into Ghost in the Shell. Uh, Neuromancer, all these things. But yeah, they were just like, they were just, they they had a pretty good beat on why certain things are cool. Sort of like how Peter Jackson knew Lord of the Rings was cool and he can make it look good. So they found a way to take all the cool stuff that they liked, latex and uh, and cool Hong Kong. Finish is definitely Yeah, and Hong Kong action movies. Big beat club music. Yeah. Oh yeah, Prodigy, like pretty cool stuff. And they made it cool Mm -hmm. for 12-year-old Myself and Jared. <laughs> Did you guys rewatch it? Yeah. yeah. Just recently. Yeah, I watched it two days you, ago. You bought that 4K Blu-ray. I mean, right? I think it's still so good. I do too. It still it, it reeks of 90s, which mm-hmm. is okay because mm-hmm. that's, that's when, when it was, was when it was made. Well, it also um, set. It was. It, I think the Lord of the Rings is super appropriate because if I remember, Turn of the Millennium, like. Everyone was kind of looking for a zeitgeist, and there wasn't one. Um, what we had was, like, Spice Girls in weird, like, 70s throwback fashions. Like, a lot of bell bottoms and, and yeah. shitty hair. The <laughs> big, Matrix, Big pants. Yeah. The Matrix set the tone for the millennium, which yep. is mm. also cheesy looking back. But it, it sort of gave us the glasses, the, the leather, yeah. the vinyl, the hard music. And, it, like, 
it was it was a sea change in terms of pop culture. Yes, yeah, so that industrial music, some of it was yes. really interesting. Going I, back, I to think you. it's it's a still a fantastic soundtrack. It, it ends with Rage Against the Machine, yeah. and it still works. But like, I'm just saying, like, it, it almost starts with Dragula. Which I think yeah, in the club. <laughs> oh, there, it, is, it is the yeah. Hothead Herman remix, you monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen to the shit out of the soundtrack. Yeah, Marilyn same. Manson's on it. It's not in the movie. or maybe It's in the credits. Well, it's good the credits soundtrack. Right. It's the second the reloaded the soundtrack is really good. Yeah, Don Davis murdered it. Yeah. And I've been listening to Juno Reactor for a long time. So mm-hmm. when they paired up for the sequel, like the sequel could not be a more Lawrence movie. Um, <laughs> okay. Because, yeah, I, and I listened to that soundtrack while I was roller skating and yeah, there are a lot of good memories attached to Reloaded Soundtrack. Revolutions yeah. again, not so much. Yeah. Roller I, skating? Yeah. Inline skating. Sorry, I was cooler than that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I used to skate around the roads of my neighborhood listening to uh, Mona Lisa Overdrive and stuff. Cool. You never skate harder than when you think you're fighting 100 Smiths. <laughs> um, no, I was just saying that the, I watched the 4K version, and I noticed this with some other movies, you could really see the film grain, hmm. which some people choose not to fix, which is, I think it's fine. It's That's how the original movie looked, I guess, and... Whatever, so but like, I do you have a 4K it, TV? Okay. Yeah, I yeah. rented it in 4K on Google Play, and the film grain wasn't there. But it was also super crisp. So it's it's really curious. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm, weird. It's yep. weird because we, I bought Labyrinth uh, on 4K with the whole HDR thing for Jess. It's my wife's favorite movie. And she was like, there's something really wrong with the movie because there's a scene where uh, Sarah's outside. She's like, it looks like she's being attacked by bees because the whole sky was underexposed. It's just, yeah, and it's just – It's that noise. It's of all blah, 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 blah. noise. It's all bad. That's now, what happens when, yeah, you have uncompressed frames just sort of flying onto a disc. Yeah, and it. I don't so know. It was super crisp on Google yeah, Play. Yeah, it actually looked really, really good, the the 4K rental I had off of Google Play. Hmm. And, yeah, I'm, I'm used to what you're talking about, and that hmm. wasn't present in the vi- in the version that I watched. It was hmm. – couldn't have asked for a, a better better it, viewing experience, really. It still looks good. It sounds good. I think the, the story moves so perfectly. Yeah. It's really a well-paced movie, which mm-hmm. – can't really say much for the sequels, but they do cram a lot into those. But as a standalone movie, I, it's the reason why I went and saw it in the theaters nine times or something. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, one time I sat on the floor because it was they oversold it and there were no seats and people were sneaking into it. So my friend and I sat on the floor Gosh. and watched it in a like a, one of the early stadium theaters. And I was like, yeah, I saw, what, uh, Phantom Menace once, maybe twice. <laughs> this movie might have ruined that movie. Uh, yeah, I think it By was being a, so much better. I must have been turning thirteen or something like that point. So like, I think I was, I was like, Star Wars is for kids. Matrix is for cool guys like me. <laughs> and I talk like a baby. So what uh, is it maybe about the first Matrix that the other two didn't do that makes this one still be great and hold up? Is it the hero's journey stuff, like the simple story that everyone knows? I think it's a lot of that. I think it, I think it had just the right amount of philosophical headiness uh, to make it approachable but still digestible. I think it had a lot of breakthrough stuff. I think you can't understate the Hong Kong sensibility that it brought to action cinema. Wire foo. Yeah, a lot of that, and and more just the the optics of the optics and the narrative of a fist fight, um, whether it's whether it's you know Mor- or Morpheus versus Neo in the training program or Morpheus versus Smith in the subway, um, on top of like the the shootouts and everything like that. A lot of John Woo sensibilities that theoretically came over with Hard Target, but never really landed in the right package. Uh, I don't think. So it, it had a lot of new stuff that was executed super well and adapted super well. And I think there was also just a whole of people waiting, like, what does what the year 2000 look like? What is it going to feel like? What is, what is the edgy vision of the future? And, and it's this really was it. green. It, everything is super green. A lot of adjustment layers on this movie. Uh, I, I think 
That's absolutely correct. And I think what Daniel said, like the whole Joseph Campbell thing, I I think is also pretty accurate. But also, I think that the second two movies are just really, really hard to grasp on just a fundamental level. Like the entire action of the second one or the whole, the only important thing that happens in the narrative happens in an information dump when he's talking to the architect which is in the final scene, which is really hard to follow. Mm-hmm. I have a theory that if that movie came out now, I think people would in general get it a little bit more. But in, uh, and, and there's been a whole bunch of people saying that, oh my God, it took me 10 years, but now I finally get it. Like you guys know the YouTube channel Just Right. This guy mm-hmm. named Sage oh, had a yeah, video yeah. called like on finally understanding the Matrix sequels. And it's a great video and, and the video has done very well. And I like that guy a lot. Um, but yeah, I think that there are a lot of things that are happening in our discourse now that definitely parallel some of the things happening in Reloaded, like this whole idea of like co-opting rebellion or the whole idea of a system being an enemy rather than just an individual force that it's not just the machines. We can't think of a division between us versus them because we're both caught up in this system that is kind of perpetuating this bad situation for both parties. Hmm. These are things that we talk about now that I don't think we talked about as much in 2003 when that movie came out. Mm -hmm. So I think really it just went over everyone's heads. And the third movie, by the way, still goes over my head. I still don't really think there's a definitive way to interpret that movie. Uh I disagree. Okay. I think I I even think, sorry, I think the Wachowskis even said that part of that movie is like making it up to you to interpret what it's about, which Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you've made a movie that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Lawrence? Oh, just, I I think, so if, if one is a, if, if Matrix One is about is about uh, you know if if it is basically Plato's uh, parable of the cave, exactly, yeah. and then you wake up to find truth, and then you find divinity and truth, and you become a god, you become a master of your perception. Okay, that's Matrix One. I think Matrix Two is like, well, even then you still don't have free will. Right. So I think Matrix Two and Three are about Neo discovering that he is the only person alive that has active free will. And that Agent Smith is the opposite. He is slave to his purpose, whereas Neo gets to choose his purpose. And that's, to me, that's why when Neo chooses not to fight and Smith absorbs him because he has to, because that's his purpose, he undoes himself because he's removed his purpose for living. Well, that so was, if, that's the weird line that Neo says, though, right? At the end. I choose, he, I well, he says, there is no choice. But then immediately goes, but I choose. You're like, well, well which one is it's it? It's the contradiction of free will. Um, huh. Of like, yeah, you, you can never know if the choice is coming from you. But to hmm. me, that's what it meant is like he is actually the one because he's the only one that understands the innate contradiction of free will and can can find a way to live in those parameters and, and find a way to be an actualized human being. So but, if I can restate what you said, tell me if you agree with this. So like the first one is about kind of giving you a divide, setting up a divide between the real and the unreal. And then the second one is saying that no, even the ideas that inform how you would divide real and unreal are itself informed by a system. So we're going to then disillusion you from that. And then... I don't know. I think the third one might even kind of fall back on this idea of an actual transcendence or maybe even layers of reality because I guess the two big questions for the third one is what exactly is happening when Neo sees the bright lights, you know, when he's blinded and what is the source? Those are kind of the two big things that I think are kept very deliberately vague that could possibly hint because obviously they they have the whole Christian imagery in the first one, and then they double back on it. So I think there's that, a lot like, of that at the very end. Yeah, exactly. They double back on oh, it yeah. at, at, in the third one. So I think we're meant to believe that okay, this <clears throat> first one was just some kind of co-opted religious story that is meant to use just maintain power. But in the third one, there is an actual transcendence of some sort of religious metaphor. Hmm. 
Ona, what do you think about that? Uh, that was that was totally my understanding. I, yeah. I do agree that there are there are things that aren't buttoned up, mostly because of the innate contradiction of what you said. Like, uh, so if you go back to Parable of the Cave, let's say somebody turns around and they see the fire, they walk out of the cave. Um, even then, their perception is still like you. It's the concept that you can never know truth because no matter how you how you perceive it, it's always coming through your perception, which is fallible and human. Yeah. If if you know that the shadows are fake and then the sun is real, well, then how do you know there isn't something more real than the sun? Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. So I I think it's I think what it alluded to is that Neo mentally somehow had found a way to actually know truth or embody truth and become truth, and that truth is the actuality of free will. Which is a, like it. It's what I thought was super cool about it is it took all the like burnout, heady sci-fi of the '60s and '70s. Uh, Philip K. Dick was super into this stuff mm-hmm. and adapted it into something that was almost approachable, <laughs> a little bit. I don't know if you can get into thoughts like that without breaking your own brain. Um, what's interesting to me is like you watch the first Matrix, and it's pretty easy to point out the flaws in its philosophy about how oh well it, it touches on issues of fate and predestination. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, like, says yes and no about a lot of that stuff, about how people have the right to choose, and yet all the prophecies and fate turned out exactly the way that they were said that they would, just in different ways, a little, like, Minority Report flavor in there, too. But uh, I think You're the talking second, about, like, with the whole, well, like, you were the one, and he goes, uh, but the Oracle said I wasn't the one, but he's like, well, the Oracle told you what you needed to hear. Which and that you might still, become the one in your next life, and then he literally dies and comes back. Yeah. I, th- I yeah. think essential to that is the understanding that in the first one, we never really knew what the Oracle was. In the second one, importantly, Neo comes to the Oracle and says that, oh, you must be a part of this system. And she mm-hmm. says, bingo. But in the first one, I guess we only knew of her as Oracle. And then there's the whole uh, parallel with the Oracle at Delphi that Socrates comes to and says, am I the smartest man alive? Uh, and she says yes, and he refuses to believe it's similar. It's kind of like a parallel to what the Oracle tells Neo. But only in the second one do we come to understand that, oh, okay, she is not also some sort of transcendental signifier as we're meant to believe that Neo is at the mm. end of the first one. She's just a part of the Matrix. That's what we learned in the second okay, one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's the other question, too, is the the whole free will and the other philosophies play into, one, the humans, and then now there's the programs, which is what the second movie opens up. The first movie, the only programs you really see are agents mm-hmm. and they are set on one path and the mm-hmm. squid and robots yeah they're very much they're very binary smith is more interesting because he seems to have other motives or he's at least desperate it's also kind of unclear when he's saying i need to get out of here like what does that mean to get out does that mean to be deleted or is there another existence that you can s- exist on i don't know as well, re- re-watching it, it it made me excited for a sequel then I remembered there are two of them yeah. <laughs> I was like what did he mean by all that oh that's so cool and then it's oh he's a virus sort of yeah one of the most important things about that also happens to be one of the most boring parts of the third one and that is the character Ramakandra and his Who? wife and his daughter oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. these yeah, are the like the, the Pakistani family that are in the subway yeah. and they basically kind of dissolve that binary of us versus them by saying that we love our daughter just like you love Trinity and uh, we can also go between the matrix and the real world, but our free will is also being compromised because I guess we're trying to get our daughter not to be deleted. I didn't watch this movie recently, but it's <laughs> something like that, right? I mean, I haven't watched it recently either, to be honest. I, 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 saw, the, I saw Revolutions, I think, twice total, yeah. and it bummed me out so much that I haven't gone back to it. I, I got the, the, the philosophic beats and took like, sort of the headcanon from it, but to me, Revolu- or Reloaded is... A much superior film. So, and and down to the point where it almost feels like they literally ran out of money. 
Like the way that movie no ends, of just like a shaky shot of a sunrise. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. This movie was so implicit, and now you're showing me a sunrise to signify rebirth. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and it wasn't even a good shot. And it, it's so much of like the last 20 minutes of revolutions is just a super bummer. I don't yeah. know what happened. I, yeah, I would argue. I, well, they tried to have a Dragon Ball fight, and it just looked stupid. Yeah, yeah. with like the orbs of rain and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember the ending though. Of Matrix One is him flying away, just a little <laughs> too slow. Mm-hmm. It's like. He's, he's like, he's oh like, wow, we can fly. Like, flying like that. Yeah. I would, I would, as an editor or a uh, VFX guy, I would have sped it up maybe 0.25. I would have just adjusted the slider just, just a little quicker, just a little quicker. He's flying a little slow, but it's okay. Yeah, it's still you're good. Right. It's still yeah. a damn good ending because it, even without a sequel, it makes your brain go, oh wow, I wonder where this is. Or you can, you can figure out your own ending where he's the one he fixes the matrix and everyone lives happily ever after. But they double down on everything else in the sequel so so I, I felt the same way that Lawrence was feeling but I always kind of interpreted it especially since you know remember when Cloud Atlas came out uh, now Lana and Andy at the time it was still Andy Wachowski kind of came out for the first time since then and uh, Lana Wachowski had this whole long story I think it was in Variety in where she told how horrible the experience of making the second two movies were how it was so stressful hmm. and how she would like just be in the Australian ocean like right before they're about to shoot and just like pray that a shark would come kill oh her because she was so stressed oh, wow. out. <laughs> That's and um, when I when I see how the third one seems just drop the ball in so many ways, I just see burnout. Yeah, they just I, stopped caring. You, know? yeah. you just got to yeah. get it done. Yeah. That's kind of what it felt like. Well, it, there's so much love and attention put on every shot and the timing of every edit in the first and most of the second movies. And then, yeah, the third one is it's definitely a we got to get this out the door. And and yeah, yeah. N- now that you well, said it like cause that, because they shot them back to back. Yeah. The, the whole. You, so I've heard before that everyone says this. They're like, "Well, no, they planned on three the whole time." Mm. No, in this never in this industry, you can never plan on just one of anything. Yeah. To get one movie made, these are the, the their work before this was bound. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. It, which is great, but when you pitch a heady action sci-fi movie where you're trying to get Will Smith as your lead. And he says no because all you've made is bound and I don't trust you. And they got Keanu Reeves, which also at the time wasn't really taken super seriously. Uh, he This is way before John Wick. This is – he was just yeah, surfer Speed dude. was his, his action. Which action I love debut. Speed, by the way. Speed's fucking awesome. It's really good. But he like but, he does some physical stuff in Speed, but Speed is a very like yeah. – it's more of a suspense movie. I, I think on paper nothing would excite anyone about this in 1997 or whatever and they started pre-production. Yeah. So I mean, the studios had, had were terrified. Well, the, the, the they, Joel they Silver it, right? was the oh, yeah. what, Joel Silver was the guy who said, "No, I'm going to take a risk yeah. on this," and he became yeah. such a rock star after mm-hmm. it made whatever the 170 million dollars, which for the time was huge for. Yeah. An well, he was a lethal was weapon not. before that, so like yeah. he had some clout, but then this shot him into a new stratosphere, basically. And yeah, the Wachowskis were like his like partners, basically moving yeah. forward with like V, V for Vendetta, and then uh, what was that one <laughs> Ninja? Oh. <laughs> Ninja Killer, Killer Ninja. Something like that. Something, huh? Wait, is it the one with Rain? Ninja Assassin? That's, yeah, Ninja, Ninja Assassin. Assassin. That's one. They, they, pr- they, they produced, produced it. They produced oh, it. yeah, they didn't do that. Their next oh. one was Speed Racer after V. No, no, I know, but they, they but that was also like a Joel Silver, gotcha. like Warner Brothers. They, okay. The, the first Matrix started this whole thing, but just, just getting to the whole point of the studio system, the Wachowskis are very smart, and they read a lot, and they consume a lot of entertainment, and they were trying to translate that into a movie where the studio's also saying, well, we also need action beats. What do you need? And they're like, uh, we have a freeway chase. They're like, you got it. We'll build you a freeway. And they're probably like, oh, fuck, they're building us a freeway. Oh, my God. <laughs> they literally built them a freeway. Wait, well, I think to get the first movie made, they did like a 600-page uh, almost comic book. 
yeah. uh, to sell it to those studio yeah, heads. People, the whole thing. Yeah, people couldn't picture it. Yeah, they, it was essentially a storyboard, but yeah. 600 but, but, pages of storyboards yeah, uh, to sell you, the idea. There's a book, The Art of the Matrix. A lot of times they have like art books based yeah. on games and movies and stuff. It's it's mm-hmm. beautiful. I really recommend picking it up if I, you're a Matrix I, Jeff yeah. Darrow, I think, is one of the yeah. there. He's, he's crazy I good. could just see that they probably, while being constrained, probably had more creative freedom with the first one and were able to have a more concise, and a lot of times it's happy accidents, but it's like art through adversity. And they made a very cohesive film because they're like, this is our one. This is it. It's our Hail Mary. It's yeah. going to work. Throw everything at the screen. And then you look at the sequels where they go, everyone was horny for a sequel at that time because they're like video games, Powerade uh, attachments, and like other ad deals. There was a fucking the phones, phone yeah. based on it. Like, mm-hmm. It came at, like a lunchbox. I worked at Best Buy when at, they were selling that phone. So I could, I could see them at some point just saying, this is too much. We originally mm-hmm. sa- set out to make a interesting, comp- like, a deeper type of movie, but it it probably got away from them because there's just so many, uh, you know, cooks in the kitchen at well, that it, point. We were talking recently about how endings are extremely hard as well. You're trying to sum up all these themes of a very heady subject matter. And ones that and, have no possible way to answer. Yeah, there's no answer. Yeah. Or, or a lot of the answer would be answer. your, like, faith in that philosophy. Yep. Um, and you can't sell that to a movie audience. You can't sell faith. Yeah. Um, so that's how I am legend. They're trying to. They're trying to. They, I, this is where I feel like they succeeded so well in the first movie. They're trying to tell an interesting story, have solid action, and kind of give it, make it for everybody, but then also make it for really smart people. That is so hard to this do. This was also really early on in a very engaged fan culture. Like mm-hmm. I was actually part of those Matrix message boards, and you can really tell that the Wachowskis took that very seriously. Like they the knew that they board. had an impact on a generation. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the message boards specifically, but they knew that. This was more than just an action movie. They knew that this had awakened something in people, that people had really learned something very essential from this movie. And so Mm. when I look at these movies, I really appreciate how ambitious they were because people loved the action. They loved bullet time. Bullet time changed everything. So they're like, all right, we got to change everything again. We're going to have the craziest... Uh, car chase you know, sequence. Forty-five minutes. Forty-five. Chase we're going to have one Neo against five hundred Smiths, mm-hmm. and they really set out. They made like action philosophy. They did not skimp on the brains yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and, and when I say like, okay, you know, we blew people's minds. We awoke in a whole gener. We awoke a whole generation to the division between real and unreal. What's next? Now, I think the answer to that, which they smartly pointed out, is to understand that. And I said this before, but. How our perception about the division between real and unreal can be informed by a system and to elevate the audience above that system. So they took it very seriously that we need to create a movie that's going to blow people's minds again. Mm-hmm. But I think that idea is just really hard to grasp. Yeah. I mean, it's, a lot of the ways they do that is through the technology at the time, which is and like bull time. It, raise your hand if it blew you away when you saw the theater yeah, sure. for the yeah, first time. It blew everybody yeah. away. You it. It was like seeing Toy Story for the first time or something where you're like, I am seeing something completely new. This is blowing my mind. So I imagine the pressure was on them for Reloaded. We're like, we got to up it a bunch. And technology has now advanced in the last, what, it was like three years when they like- It was 1999 to 2003, so four years. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they obviously had been working on it for years, but like in their minds, I'm sure they're like, did you know we can make an all CGI Keanu Reeves fight, an all CGI uh, uh, Agent Smith, and you can't tell the difference? And then we saw the movie and went, I can tell the difference. <laughs> I mean, the thing yeah. is, the choreography of that fight is still gorgeous. That's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. It just even looks like the, a bad video game. Even if the rubber men, like, the, <laughs> just the, and again, the sensibilities they have about visual storytelling in combat is is so incredible. Yeah. And I think, like, that's a sensibility that even pervades in Speed Racer, how you can have 
20 cartoon cars flying and spinning around a track and you know where you are all yeah. the time. It's 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 just amazing. To, to Jared's point though, in the Wisecrack video, he made, made a excellent point, especially with Reloaded, oh. is the action does not drive the story. Mm. Yeah, there's no it's reason pointless. for Neo to fight Smith. Yeah. There's mm. no reason for Neo to fight in the chateau, although that scene is awesome. It's so sure. good. Yeah. Oh my God. All yeah. of the scenes are awesome, but they ha- seem yeah. to have no point. There's very little stakes to any of those scenes mm. other than getting the key maker. But even then... As you point out, like that whole that is a feels like a gaping plot hole. That maybe there is a smarter reason for all of it that I just do not understand, and that's okay because I'm a dum dum. Because um, I just I'm, I'm the same way where I go. Well, this is all go, going over my head, but I'm going to just enjoy this freeway chasing because it's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's it's the Goku problem. You have to like take him out of the mix to have any dramatic tension with any other character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I agree. There there is a little bit of suspension of disbelief. But I, I think that question sort of falls out of your head as soon as, like, they're, they're – it's almost like a John Wick scenario where they're in a hallway with weapons and they just start grabbing them off the wall. And it's, it's, not, it's not a sword fight. It's an everything fight, kind of, kind of like in Matrix 1 of, uh, of Neo versus Morpheus, how every three – like, every 30 seconds they're switching martial arts styles. And that's not something that maybe a lot of people actively appreciate, but I think people do know that it looks different, and it's amazing. I, I think that that's why, though, going back to Jared's uh, video, which you should totally watch on Wisecrack, both of them are amazing. But the first movie, I feel like the action, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, all the action plays into the story. There's a story reason for the action, mm. and it feels like there are stakes. It all, all goes back, uh, my mind goes to the lobby shootout. There's a specific reason for that entire thing. It's not just men here it's like there are actual stakes and you you care of what's going on and then it makes it just that much more enjoyable so the the one thing i'm going to say about that is that i think it's really important to remember that you know because we can just say like oh like these people like they fucked up they didn't understand the basic laws of dramatic action but (laughs) it's important to remember that and i remember this was a big deal joel silver told the wachowskis that we're going to film both at the same time, and they're going to be in the movie theater at the same time. It was meant to be that oh. you would see one and then go to the movie theater to, or like just mm. switch theaters and see the second one. But then, of course, Joel Silver changed his mind late in the game when he realized he could make more money if they just spaced <laughs> them out by six months. Mm. So I'm curious as to would we have consumed the movies differently if we just thought of them as kind of one movie? That's a really interesting mm. question because I I watched the second movie. I was I had like. As far as I could tell, followed the philosophy, super into the action, the soundtrack, everything. I was like, they they really did up it in every possible way for me. Uh, and I remember, like, I got midnight tickets to the third movie, and I remember going to the box. I was like, hey, is it sold out yet? And the guy was like, no. Uh, so I like yeah. bought my tickets, and I was like, oh man, I hope there's a good seat left. And then I went, and I was like one of three people in the entire theater. Uh-oh. So if they were both out at the same time. I think people might have been like, okay, that was cool, but I didn't get it. Maybe if I go watch the third one right, right now, it'll exactly. oh, it still wouldn't yeah. have, Who but they might have gotten sleep. more right. tricks. Right. Yeah. Might have tricked more people into watching it. Man, I also went to the midnight showing, but that was also back when I feel like midnight showings had people show up. Yeah. I went to the midnight showing for Transporter 2, and I'm proud to say that. <laughs> I went to the midnight showing for Snakes on a Plane, which I oh, thought, man. I thought there would be a lot of people. I think the producers did too. There was no one. <laughs> I saw. I think the last one I went to was one of the Harry Potters. Well, was, the, 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 you don't uh, have to go at midnight anymore. Don't they, they yeah. do them at yeah. like eight p.m. Yeah, it's or like whatever, Tuesday so. at eight. Well, yeah. movies, movies are just coming out on like I don't know two weeks early now, or mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's a Monday evening or whatever. Like it just doesn't matter. They're like, yes, you'll give us money early. Sure, come see our movie. But I remember that being a big deal though. Like yeah. Matrix culture, Matrix phenomenon. Like it is such a nerdy thing that I felt like I enjoyed the first movie 
And I remember my mom's boyfriend at the time, I was saying like, oh, have you seen Matrix on DVD? Because that's how you had to have it at that mm -hmm. time because it was one of the first movies on DVD. And he was like, seen one John Woo, one John Woo movie? You've seen them all. Oh, and no. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I that's can't true. think of a statement that I hate more. <laughs> but here's the best part. Fast forward two months or whatever when he like finally sat down and watched it. And he went, that movie was fucking awesome. And I'm like, oh, good. I don't like, not that I need his approval because he was sort of like super bro hunter jock dude. <laughs> um, I was just sort of like, this oh, cool. cool. This, this now has gone into the public mainstream. I think this stuff that maybe just the Wachowski, Wachowski's that was cool, anime and, uh, you know, Hong Kong fights and leather and latex is like, and like smart philosophy and all these fun things. Like now... Joe Schmo was like my mom's idiot boyfriend uh, was enjoying. So uh, you put on a really interesting topic that I think is also really special about the first Matrix is that it it pitched like internet culture and nerds and stuff. Like a a stereotypical nerd is the hero's journey character. And while you could say that's true of like Luke or Luke Skywalker or whatever, I think this movie there there had been a gap of like internet connected people who were at the forefront of technology and considered themselves to be avant garde. But no media was really speaking to or celebrating that. Yeah. But yeah. the Matrix was the first, like, hey, if you're on the internet, you actually are you're where the future is going already, and we're gonna make a whole movie that speaks to and celebrates that, mm. versus like being the side hacker character that's nerdy and fat. Yeah. So it that was, was kind of. It was cool. also a part of that transition from like that '80s and '90s, like muscle bound Arnold Schwarzenegger, sure. Sylvester mm -hmm. Stallone. These are our heroes. To like, oh, Keanu. I'm sure he's cut. And extremely fit, but he looks like a normal dude when he's wearing clothes. He, he's, I mean, his powers come from the fact that he's like a disaffected, alienated hacker yeah. who thinks that there's something wrong with the world <laughs> and he seeks out Morpheus, you know. And I think, you know, especially people who are lonely on the internet, we were all there feeling yep. like all that you guy. wanted your oh, Morpheus. We all were, con yeah, exactly. We were all searching for a metaphorical Morpheus. Yeah. I'm always drawn to the lines uh, that, that really do paint Neo as every normal schmo of mm -hmm. like, you pay your taxes, you help your landlady take out the garbage, you're late to work, you're not motivated. Like it, It's all these like things that now seem kind of contrite and painting Neo as just like a cardboard cutout for any self-insertion. But then it was pretty cool, and it was an archetype that hadn't been the protagonist of a big-budget action movie. Also, when he got naked with Trinity, you couldn't tell who was who. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's the point. When I think I was, it was, actually. When I was watching it now, I was like, did they cast Hugo because of Hedwig? And because of their interest in that cult, the Wachowski. Oh. I mean, because like I, Harry I mean, Potter's whatever. Bird. I grew up in a small town. I never saw that movie. But going back, I'm like, huh, maybe they were into that culture, and that's why they knew that. And then there's also like, yeah, there's like rave scenes and stuff, and and lines in the first movie that like to to deny your impulses is to not deny what makes you human. I think they were kind of going down the track of like, being human is weird, and you should be authentic to that, and mm. not try to fit into a society or fit into a, a definition that doesn't fit you. Well, that was like the character switch, right? Well, yeah, originally you're supposed to, when she went into the Matrix, oh. she was going to be a dude. But I guess that oh. was too much for Warner Brothers. Man. Oh, really? That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, if you could just look it's at the movie on like a basic aesthetic way, so there's that whole rave scene where you see like their feet touching the ground. It's very earthy. There are mm -hmm. people of all different nationalities like and genders and stuff like that. And then, yeah, there are people in leather versus guys, white dudes in suits. I mean, it's like pretty clear anti-establishment messaging. Especially, BDSM yeah. sensibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of fetish stuff. Uh, especially in that scene where uh, right, bef the, right before the first fight in The Matrix Reloaded, you see basically all the other people, uh, all the other captains when they all say there's something going wrong, like they're drilling. You see all the other captains in their BDSM gear, and it's pretty leathery. 
<laughs> oh, they double down on the leather. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. That, that was the other question. Oh, going back to first Matrix. Okay, had some questions. Can I, can I stop you? You can stop me right back, but I do have questions. Right. Do your we'll thing. come back to your questions. But um, So you guys, too, can be just like Neo, who can download and learn anything he wants. You can get anything you need, anytime you need it, with Postmates. Other than your absolute best friends, who could you ask to bring you red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9 p.m., and a breakfast burrito at 8 a.m.? Postmates. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of delivery service all year round. No more trips to the store. You don't even have to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, Postmates will bring you what you want within the hour. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the known universe with more than 25,000 partner merchants. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app right now and use code FILMHOUSE. So that's code FILMHOUSE for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Get anything you need, anytime you need it. Download Postmates and save with code FILMHOUSE. So, Adam, you had some questions. Yeah, remember Choi in the first movie? White Rabbit? Follow the White Rabbit? Oh, yeah, yeah. So are those... Yeah, she's super high. Are those programs or are those just friends? Are they other people who are... Uh, outside the Matrix, I think those were those were. I, I mean, assumed it was another crew on a ship somewhere. No, I thought they were people, but the, the like they established that Trinity was monitoring Neo, right? So mm-hmm. she probably knew that this girl was coming and that they were going to go to a club, and that was a safe place she could talk to him. Okay, so she put that message. Like on the his club's the safe space. There you go. Exactly. Wow, you, what, what, what did uh, Neo have? What did he give him? Some sort uh, of pirated gear? software. Oh, okay. Yeah. He had yeah. like a mini disc. I think it was like a ripped <laughs> copy of Doom. Uh, <laughs> it's like you get caught using this. Yeah, you someone might send you a letter. Gave you the level pack. <laughs> a little freebie from me. It's called shareware, not narcware. And it gives it to him. So like, um, also, also mini disc. They're mini discs. Yeah, it's the best. I also remembering that shot of him at work where he's just got his hands on the desk and he's just staring at a, a blank monitor. Mm-hmm. There's just like little touches that, that I really like resonated a lot more when I watched it, rewatched it recently. Well, they also the his boss sort of looks like Agent Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Calls kind him Mister Anders. Kind of talks yeah. the yeah. same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was that's sort of what makes the first Matrix so good. Such just a perfect loop that they have these little things in it. They set up an antagonist and they do that thing where. In the very beginning, he's a weak nothing, and Smith has all the cards. And then by the end, he bests him, and it's like it's just so it's such a perfect story. Yeah, and like it just it ends ended the way it needed to end. Yeah, hundred so, percent. Eh. I still love it. So uh, much like on uh, the Nebuchadnezzar, there's a mole in your organization. Uh, I got a few tidbits from Ryan, oh, who's, who's, who's our Joey Pants. Of, oh, man. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> I got tons of dirt on him, so you oh, better yeah. be careful. And I was going to say, you, he said you once broke up with a girl because she didn't like the Oh, Matrix. he's so full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's still a good call, though. Um, <laughs> it wasn't even the Matrix. So, I mean, there, there's some, basically, like, you know, you break up with a girl, it's sad. You, you're around with your friends and you joke a lot. And I, it was actually three movies that she didn't like. Oh, and right. I was just like, God damn. And they were Risky Business. Heat, oh, an old boy. Okay, who, who is this person? I the, can see being <laughs> so disquieted by old boy. Yeah, that's pretty. I can see being movie. disturbed by it, but but saying that it's like a bad movie or impugning the quality of it is a, little, a step too far. Yeah, and also Heat. What the fuck? Who doesn't like Heat? <laughs> I know it's so good. She was just like, why are they holding hands at the end? And I was just like, oh, 
There's no fix in this. Yeah, I, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. But that that was, I mean, were there other signs? Like, Holy she... shit. They, sorry. I, I was, so I remember thinking about Casino Royale recently, and because and I was like, I, I'm so sorry to cut you off. But, oh, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> in, the, in the ways that the Matrix brought, like, fist fighting back to action films, because that just wasn't there. It was just like, rah, rah. It was like Bloodsport endings. Mm. Um, and then I was like, man, Bond started doing like really intense choreo- choreographed hand-to-hand fighting, thinking mm. about the the sequence in Skyfall. Yeah. Um, a lot of like that was a silhouette against a backlight. I forgot mm. that Revolutions had that at the end. There was like a, a silhouetted fight against a like a illuminated back screen. I've only. S- oh, yeah. I think I only saw Revolutions once. Well, yeah, not. It doesn't hold up to repeat viewing. No, it doesn't. But and I th- and t- these Tarantino are beautiful moments, but like once again, you're watching it and you're not emotionally invested at all. No. Yeah. And it really just doesn't work nearly as well as the uh, the train train station fight in the first one, which is not mm-hmm. nearly as much of a visual spectacle. Well, but the, the, so cool. The stakes from a like a story perspective are technically smaller. Mm-hmm. It's just, or maybe they're big. It's it's Neo's the one. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. He's got to get out of the Matrix. He's got to find a phone and get out. Okay. Yeah. And then the third the third movie, the stakes are the largest they've ever been. The whole world is at stake. He needs to defeat Agent Smith, and you're just – or maybe he, that is the point. I don't know. A lot of people said a lot of things, and I think that's the point of the story, but I'm unsure. To me, it was – it was the their fight was meant to personify an unwinnable, unanswerable philosophical question, mm-hmm. which to me is almost like shades of like Star Wars, light side, dark side. Like they just have to fight because they are by their very nature contradictory. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. opposites. Yeah. So, so to me, the fight at the end of, of Revolutions was – philosophically like imperative because it's it's what they have to do mm-hmm. so it was like there was a weird sense of obligation behind it which was also sad like here are these two th- here are these two ideas that theoretically should be able to live together but can't or can't find a way out how and then ironically the only way for them to live together is for one to give up but that gives it the power mm-hmm. of, of uh, forfeiting the illusion of control uh, but if in the off chance that you actually are following it up to this point, yeah. then, 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 then literally you're like, okay, so an equation, I'm watching an equation maybe balance out yep. in a fight. Mm-hmm. And to your point, if it is the fact that he just has to give up to assert his free will, then I don't care about who's going to win this fight mm-hmm. because it's gonna, right. yeah. it just has to end Which one is way. rough. Like, I, I get it. Like, they w- if they had to choose between just making good movies and doing philosophy, I feel like we'll probably never... There will never be auteurs who are given a blank check to make action philosophy like this again. And for that reason, I'll always appreciate the sequels. I Man, you've hit the nail so on the head. I So for me, when like Matrix 2 is about to come out, people were like, what, what, what if the real life is also a Matrix? And I'm like, man, no, I really hope point. it's not I that dumb. I hate that argument. <laughs> but to me, and, and I think you said it perfectly, is, is they... They swung the hardest swing any living human could have swung. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I respect the hell out of that. They could have just made it's like, he. well, I mean, they did. It's like, oh, he fights a million Smiths now. But, you know, I think that degree of uh, escalation was there. But they followed it up with a philosophical thing that hit even harder, maybe even self-defeating in how hard it hit. Yes. But I respect the it. ambition. Uh, above anything else, man. It would have been so easy to just be like, oh, he's got even more guns. And, and that's why I contend that these, the sequels, at least, are more fun to think and talk about than they are to watch. Yes. I, I respect, an- to a degree, yeah, I guess it is whether you value ambition or execution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the second movie, honestly, has both. But the third, the execution is a little lacking because human beings can only do so much. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I will take ambition over an idea that I've seen executed a million times already, executed again. 
because I just I love having new thoughts. I love things I, that challenge me. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 20 years later. We're still talking yeah. about it. If you want a matrix within a matrix, <laughs> look no further than the hit film, The 13th Floor. I haven't seen it. Well, I'll spoil the ending for you. Please. There's a matrix within a matrix. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a part where he, the main dude finds out that, yeah, his simulation is in a simulation or something. Or, like, in his simulation, he's going into a simulation, but then he finds out that the real life he thinks he is in is a simulation. And then he wakes up, and what he assumes is the future, maybe, but it might be a simulation. It's like a Rick and Morty episode about that. <laughs> yeah. Inception. Yeah. Existence. Yeah. There was a, because I know there's a lot of like comparisons because there's like Dark City. I know that's another one yeah. people compare yeah. to The Matrix. Well, it came out right before it and failed. They even used a bunch of the sets. Oh, really? really? Oh, well, really? that makes a lot of sense. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, the, 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 the Matrix's vision of like nighttime urban areas is interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and now that I think about it, it's nearly identical yeah. to Dark City. I think, I think a lot of that first chase scene where Trinity mm -hmm. uh, is running back to the phone is from Dark City sets. The rooftop chase, I remember, yeah. it was inspired by North by Northwest or uh, what's the other one? Vertigo, I believe. Mm. It's, the, it's almost like the, the shot of the... Um, Agents running up are is almost identical to the cops in the opening of Vertigo. I only know that because my uncle cut it together before YouTube and is like, he's like, watch this. They're they're the same. And I was like, oh, that's just okay. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I cool I, uncle. <laughs> he's he's a yeah he's a big nerd. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I was like, he likes the Matrix. I like Matrix. It's cool. Man, yeah. I'm I'm remembering Animatrix now. That <laughs> how it's so great. It's really depressing, but yeah. No, I love the Animatrix. <sighs> some, Every some, single some story were, is a Some were better than others. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It was all over the place. There's the not fact that it existed was cool enough, yeah. I think. Oh, I, I respect the uh, I respect the, ambition. the art of it all, but mm. man, though, I, every single sh short story, I think, had one of the most depressing <laughs> endings ever. Oh, yeah. And I remember, like, in terms of the business, this was a big revolution, at least that people talked about a lot at the time, that, like, if you want the full story of the Matrix, you're going to have to play the video game, watch <laughs> the Animatrix, and then see the movies. Mm -hmm. But you don't really see that replicated as much these days. Like, there's no uh, Marvel game that you have to play to know the complete mythology, which I, I'm surprised to hear. It, uh, it's a hot buzzword, Jared, in this industry, and it's called uh, transmedia. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And man, oh man, they've been trying it for years, and I think the, the ultimate outcome is it doesn't work. And to Warner Brothers' credit, while they were trying to push this garbage on us a lot, not that the animation is garbage, the idea of you have to spread it all everywhere and to get the whole story. They also said, we have the Dark Knight Rises coming out. We're not going to rush um, Arkham Knight to come out, and we're not going to make them. We're going to say the video games are really good. The movies are really good. They're their own things. Well, they mm -hmm. tried to make a Dark Knight video Sorry. game. Yeah, this, they this canceled like, it, didn't they? Oh, no, no. It did come, no. Oh, they made a Batman Begins video game. Oh. oh. So this is, this is a trailer or a commercial that uh, Michelle Gondry made for Smirnoff, and he's kind of given credit for creating bullet time for that shot, huh. which we just saw. Um, there, it's debatable who really came up with this first, mm -hmm. but this is kind of the big first big mass market version of it. Mm. it yeah, it's got all the beats there. That makes sense. The the huh. the execution. I had heard this, but I've never. Yeah. This is the first time I've actually seen huh. the the uh, commercial. The execution of bullet time is just a real fascinating. It's a it's a pretty simple trick when you think about it, but it to pull it off in a film that big was like revolutionary. At well, the time. you don't. You wouldn't even have to do that anymore. No, no. <laughs> they, well, yeah, you have digital cameras now. You don't need to have physical a series of physical cameras all arranged in the exact path you need in, in real life. What, do they have DSLRs or something, like in a giant room? I think they're still cameras, right? Yeah, they were yeah. still. Yeah, they all fired yeah. off and took one frame. Yep. Yeah. And then they had to use, they actually had to use computers to interpolate between the frames to make it actually smooth. Otherwise, oh. it would have looked like a, you Oh, know, it would be choppy, yeah. Yeah. 
Which so is that, like true motion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With a shitty thing on your TV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which, please, everyone turn off. <laughs> Unless well, you're watching bad TV, then it actually know. makes it better. I feel, like, I, feel like sports. Sports. I feel like people see that and then they go, oh, good. It's in, it's in high definition because of how crappy it looks. Yeah. And, and Adam talked about this a little bit earlier, but in terms of ambition, the tragic thing about this is that with the first movie, they put the goalposts farther than they thought they could achieve and did it. You know, mm-hmm. it looks good. All these special effects were revolutionary. And then they mm-hmm. thought, well, we can do the same thing with CGI and having a CGI Keanu Reeves. And they didn't pull it off. I mean, the, yeah. the, the second two movies don't look, haven't aged as well as the first one. It's sort of like the uh, prequels a little bit where yeah. it was like, you know, George Lucas was like, finally, we're there. And we're like, no, 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 we're not. Did you <laughs> yeah. well, at the time, it seemed like they were there. Uh, I don't know. Even man. then, I parts, remember things looked a little jank. Like the, the apple that Amidala yeah, uh, like it stabs. It looks real and bad. Takes the bite out of it, yeah. but it's it's not actually matching up to the fork at all. Yeah, yeah, that's the, good time. The crazy part is, we are probably closer now than ever to where yeah. we're we're getting away with stuff that's like just full CGI characters that you didn't had no idea. Like a fucking Thanos, man. I'll just say apes, apes oh, in yeah. general. Like the fact that we have so many CGI, uh, just. Monkeys now is like so cool, and they look great. <laughs> From Umbrella Academy to many of the Rise of movies or whatever, Dawn of the or of the. Yeah, I was I was actually really surprised in the Umbrella Academy how good the Pogo monkey looked. Like, yeah, it was crazy. I don't know if it's crazy expensive, but like CGI. Maybe is, monkeys are cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. But I mean, to your point, Thanos too is like one of the best looking, if not the best looking, CGI character right now, where he's believable and it doesn't take you out of the movie, whereas. Rubber face Keanu. What about Young Fury? Yeah, that stuff was good. That's yeah, really impressive. That's I never scary. once, never once was yeah. like, oh, that was weird. Never once. It was yeah. weird. You know, something we talk about a lot on our channel is this idea of the prosumer on how like now consumers are mm. way more aware of the process of filmmaking and all that stuff. And I'm wondering if just the idea of CGI, no matter how good it looks, I feel like we're entering this part, this stage where no matter what you show us, it's not going to be impressive. Uh, but I feel like maybe, at least I hope, I hope there's going to be a reawakening of appreciating practical effects. Like, I hope mm-hmm. that a generation looks at Jackie Chan films and is like, oh, my God, there was a group of these insane Chinese dudes who were literally almost killing themselves <laughs> in order to get that shot. Like, I feel like that kind of that a level of awareness when watching a movie that I think is pretty unique to this generation, I think, will allow movies, older movies like that to have this whole new relevance. Hmm. I mean, there's I the. So there's a whole wave of like tie action. You want to talk about literally murdering your, murdering yourself. There's a whole wave of like 80s tie action movies that are almost <laughs> like borderline snuff with some of the stuff they do mm. to each other cuz there I mean there's fight scenes where like they're not even like doing camera tricks. They're just literally beating the shit out of each other. Mm. I mean they're doing it in a choreographed way, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's like full hits and they make sure that you know that that's what's happening. So I I do agree though. I think I think as much as it can be fake, there's still an appreciation for real people doing real stuff. I mean, we just talked about John Wick three. Yeah. Without and, like, the Ray Matrix, two is yeah. Without ridiculous. the Matrix, we would not have the John Wick trilogy, yeah. which is <laughs> John Wick seemed to be kind of more of a seemed like a passion project. It sort of seems weird that they greenlit that movie. They're like, it is going to be a ninety minute action movie, and the movie's called John Wick. Let's hope yeah. it does well. And thank God. I mean, I think Lawrence is always like, you got to go see John Wick. It's awesome. Like, it okay. surprised everybody. That's the movie I'm looking forward to most this year. It, I, I, really? lo- I love, love John Wick. I'm also a huge dog person. So yeah. I feel like it's like <laughs> revenge yeah. porn for dog owners. <laughs> it, it, but to he the, could have the dog a little bit more, I would say. I think the third one is they, there's more dogs in the trailer. Okay. To the, Jackie, oh, right. to the Jackie Chan point, though, I feel like the people making the John Wick movies who are all ex 
Matrix employees. Yeah. They're like all the stunt They're guys. Stunt yeah, who used to work with Keanu Reeves, who's also who's been like super awesome to those people back. He gave him a bunch of his money. Yeah. Uh, when he got his like Matrix bonus, but like they seem to really care about how well the action is perceived and that you can actually see what's happening. We've we're we're a long, far away, I hope, from Batman Begins and Born Supremacy, where the camera is oh, up their asshole while oh while they're punching each other. You're like, I think that was impressive. I can't tell. Yeah, that's why it's two of my favorite actors is Keanu Reeves and Tom Cruise because they are so dedicated to mm. make to making action cinema still following in its original. Which tradition. seems so rare for someone like a pampered, you know, billionaire. I actor. know, I know, but he is the real deal. I mean, but he works hard. He's gonna die making movie. Ah, uh, mm. I just finally watched Fallout. Uh, I think it's so good. I think it's great. It's the so that scene of him sprinting, just watching it, made me tired. Of him chasing <laughs> Henry Cavill. I'm well, like, that is a fifty, I guess, five at that point year old man. Yeah, sprinting faster than I'll ever be able to run in my life, and he probably did it. Multiple times? Multiple I don't know. I, I'm almost positive we talked about this last week. Sorry. Or we talked before the show I started. I think we were talking about it at lunch or something. I, I mean, don't know. Yeah. That shot is impressive, but still, the sprint from three is... <laughs> oh, I get it, chills thinking about that still. When he, like, not... The, he, like, it's thrown by a rocket and hits a car. That thing? Oh, no. That, so that's that's the bridge shootout. No, later, oh, he, like... Shot, he gets knocked out. He wakes up in, like, Beijing, and he, he's just, like, running through the city to, like, oh, okay. catch up to his, his wife. And it is about, I want to say, a 90-second non-cut shot of him running at full sprint with a camera, like, tracking at Mm. three-quarter. And it's just, like, it's just him running in the soundtrack. Mm. And the great thing about it is you're like, okay, they'll probably cut right about now. And then there's it keeps going, and it keeps going. And it hits that, like, when is it going to? Holy shit, it's still going. And, like, just the arc of that one shot. Look it up if you can. Man, it's so good. (laughs) If we could somehow track how much running Tom Cruise if they could keep track of it <laughs> how long can, he ran for yeah I want to like put it on a map how far based on his films how far around the world he's gone three times he's probably All been around, around the world he's like the flash <laughs> it's just so weird too because I guess even post Mission Impossible 1 and boy we're on a tangent right now sorry, <laughs> yeah. just, I, I'm trying to remember cause this even is about the Matrix two, like, two good action movies <laughs> yeah and wait Mission Impossible makes you think two. a little bit because MI2 mm. when did that yeah, movie man. come out the, the, MI2 the, is 2000 you yeah, know so that because Limp Bizkit was That was John Woo's answer to The Matrix, basically, yeah. and you see how that t- worked out. I mean, it, it got the leather. It, it tried to get the <laughs> attitude, but it just wasn't quite there. Motorcycle fight. The dubs. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, had this had random thought. Do you think that shorter people look faster on camera? Because now I'm thinking of, like, Al Pacino and Serpico, and he looks like he's always just burning. Hmm. <laughs> there's I think the compactness of it. Makes it look maybe. Better, yeah, I don't know. More. Yeah. There's there's definitely a, uh, a trick I picked up from pro wrestling. If yeah, if you pump your arms really hard and they do this all the time in the matrix, mm-hmm. uh, it makes you look like you're going way faster than you are. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> they in, in matrix, especially the agents, they always run with like arms at 90 degrees and they're doing a lot of this stuff. It's mm-hmm. the body language of the matrix in general is really, really interesting. Oh, uh, one of the things that I love about the matrix, specifically the first one and in the second one that I think isn't talked about enough is just the rhythm of the speech. Like just the way that Morpheus talks. I actually wonder if the Wachowskis gave them line reads like to mm-hmm. say, you know, I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Yeah. Like it's just, it's so melodic mm-hmm. and so epic. Sam that, and Smith. It's, yeah. And Smith. Cypher. Yeah. Everyone. I've heard like, you do a good Morpheus. Uh, I mean, that was it. That right? was as yeah. good as that I was get. Like, yeah. yeah, that was excellent. <laughs> I want to keep listening. To that. <laughs> but like Smith's entire uh, rant about how humans are like a virus always yeah. sticks with me. Where like yeah. literally having that thought driving to work through the day, I'm like, it's true. Like art, hmm. like 
He's right. He's right. There is an equilibrium with everything else on this planet. Maybe not all things. Oh but yeah. It, it is such a like a whoa such wait, a wait, bleak wait. analysis. Go back. It, it haunts me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sh- it's showing the like multiple monitor view oh. from the uh, architect. I mean, that you see that in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, it, do like, you believe? Zooms in on him. Do you believe that that? I don't. I don't. Believe no. Not even for a little bit. Yeah. There, there's no way that that they actually had the architect idea in mind. I think it oh, was no, just some no. general no. visual thing for powers that be. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sure that having. Based on how authentic this speaks to a lot of very, very treaded philosophical issues, I'm sure that they did all the research and they decided we could make it about this, but let's constrain our vision and make it about this. Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, we'll focus on this issue. I'm sure they were thinking about issues like the architect or about how it could be a meta layer of free will and and issues like that or a system controlling your perceptions. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they thought about all that, but they were like, no, for this movie, this is what we're going to focus on. And there is no flying way in hell that the studios were like, before this movie even hits, we're going to greenlight two other movies. And no, no way. Oh, no oh, way. This no. was they a They barely made this movie. <laughs> I, I have a conspiracy about what you're talking about, and that is that so, you know how in the first movie, Neo kind of famously, when he's giving that computer program to Choi, it's, it's Simulacra and Simulation by Baudrillard. And Baudrillard saw The Matrix and publicly said that these guys are idiots, they got it all wrong. And mm-hmm. there is nothing postmodern because... The Matrix is a very modern movie because it's, like you said, the the allegory of the cave, just uh, pointing out a division between the real and the unreal. But I kind of – my my theory is that the the Wachowski was like, fuck. And then that's what what motivated them to go all the way postmodern with the second two movies. Yeah, Yeah. because like, oh, we're going to get Baudrillard right this time. Was was he a consultant on the other movies? No, he had nothing to do with it. He just – I don't. I don't even know if they ever met, but I know that a year, a couple years after it, he saw the movie and he did not like it. And I think he died before the sequels came mm-hmm. out. I've, so I've got my own conspiracy theory okay. on, on this. Um, and this is probably the only thing I can only talk to this because I don't think any of you have read The Invisibles. And I'll bring this up really quickly um, because no one else is going to know what I'm talking about. But so first movie is great because, uh, and I love The Matrix, but they totally just remade The Invisibles, which was a comic from 1990, started in 1994 uh, by Grant Morrison. Hmm. Um, but just to run down a few of the things that are similar between The Matrix and The Invisibles, um, it's about a group of terrorists or freedom fighters who uh, fight the establishment and the forces of control uh, that keep humans docile and uh, hide from them the fact that reality is an illusion. Uh, The story starts when they recruit a new young guy who's going to be the Messiah or the Buddha. Mm. Um, Part of his training is jumping off of a building to learn Mm. that reality is not real. Hmm. Uh, The leader of the Invisibles wears a bunch of black leather and cool suits. Uh, He's into fetish stuff. He has circular sunglasses, uh, knows kung fu, and shoots people a lot. Uh, he gets captured in a bathroom fight, taken to the bad guy's place, injected with a serum, and then tortured for the location of the good guys. Um, there's a traitor in their midst. Uh, they do drugs to open their minds. Um, That's Let's see. Yeah, that the bad guys are uh, metallic-looking bug creatures. Huh. Um, mm. There's a magic mirror moment where they're touching a, mag- a mirror that liquefies. Seriously? Um, and then you're just talking about this vi- the virus monologue by Agent Smith at the very end. is actually very similar to a monologue by one of the heroes at the beginning where he's talking about uh, humanity and their nature. Mm. And actually, uh, humanity was normal until they were infected with the city virus. And the city virus made them expand and consume until there were no resources left. So there's just a few similarities. I, I don't think there's any way that's an accident. I mean, no, the Wachowskis used to work for Marvel yeah. before they wrote Bound. Yeah, yeah. it so, was a Marvel comic. No, no, this no, was, this they were was very into that. World. This was Image Comics, um, oh, and Warner Brothers owns it all now. So it's like it's well, not they, a they don't own, conflict. They don't own an Image. I thought. 
I thought Image is one of the... No, excuse me, Vertigo. Yeah, oh, they Vertigo is an imprint of DC. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, there are so many rip-offs, homages, whatever you want to call I, it. I wouldn't call it a rip-off because they, did, they dressed it in cyberpunk and they have a whole lot of other influences on it. Yeah. And actually part of the Invisibles, it was, it was a, almost like a, a magic spell to create more Invisibles to spread this uh, message about reality being an illusion and that you need to wake up. Mm-hmm. So, like, part of the purpose of the Invisibles was to make people spread messages like this one. Mm-hmm. So that's why you didn't really have a problem with it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there's my, only... my mini rant, if you guys like The Matrix, uh, check out The Invisibles. Well, it's like Adam said with Tarantino earlier. I don't yeah. think that they're plagiarizing, no. but they, they seem to be great at taking disparate, really cool things and combining them into something really I mean, awesome. The, the word The Matrix, this idea of a thing you jack into, is the plot point of Neuromancer, which is like, it's literally called The Matrix, where he's like, in the first page, like, I need to get back to the Matrix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and he does it by uh, submersing his perceptions in a, a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, like, has to put in an IV and then, like, jack, jack his brain into the internet. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah, that concept has also literally been around. In yeah, a lot I was actually things. really curious about that when it's like, holy shit, they're, they're calling the virtual world the Matrix? Was, it wasn't Neil Stevenson. It was, it's the other guy. Oh, uh, I get it mixed um, up. Oh, my. William Gibson. William yes, Gibson, Gibson, yeah. Did William Gibson go, pay up? Or was he just like being cool and Canadian about it? And it's like, whatever, man. <laughs> there was a I lawsuit. Cyberpunk. I don't know if it was that one, though. Somebody did try to sue them for stealing. I the think idea. a lot of people did. Yeah. There's there's some lady that was famous for it, but she oh, had I a really that. lame script, essentially, that she claimed lots of, like, the Terminator also ripped her off. I think she was just a crazy person. <laughs> She's like, also, she wrote but, an so, so, something this movie did that the Invisibles didn't do was they had that metaphor of the Matrix that I think is a lot easier for people to understand. It's like, reality isn't real or your perception of reality isn't real and they have that metaphor of a machine simulation that I think nails that. Mm. I think so. Gives a, it, it not only gives a physical hook, um, which, which I think is pretty interesting iconography for the, the movie to use. It relies a lot on phone lines and physical physical attachments to the internet. Yeah, pay phones. Yeah, and, and I was thinking like, man, if they made this now, this it just wouldn't work. Like we all have the f- internet on our cell phones. Yeah, they'd have to run like clear across the city to find mm-hmm. the one payphone that exists. And a lot of like a lot of sound work of dial tones and phones dialing and modems and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was so much in 1999, and it, it nailed it really hard. And then so, yeah. like, and, and I think not only did it take all these disparate elements from these really successful things, but the timing and timing is everything. The timing oh, yeah. was so perfect because mm-hmm. we were just around the corner from Y2K, where computer paranoia was at its peak. Yeah, yeah. really good point. Thought it was going to end the world, right? Yeah. Nukes were going to launch. Uh, rewatching it, I, I have but one gripe, only oh. one, oh, and okay. it's not that I forget how quick or how little uh, span of time the movie takes place over. It's like five days, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, depending on how long it takes Neo to yeah. There's some fade to black, re- regrow his yeah. his uh-huh. muscle cells. Regardless, oh, yeah. um, Trinity falling in love with Neo is a little harder to buy as I've grown older. It was faded to be, but but there's. This might just be the casting of Keanu Reeves, who, at the time, had as much personality as a dish rag. Like, well, that was—I think that was by design. But they, they wanted him to be an audience. Yeah, so. but it just by the end where she's like, "You can't die because I love you." I'm like, "What did he do, 
or say. He had about four lines in the entire movie. Well, welcome well, to the, nerd fantasy, man. I, yeah, 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 that's also yourself. 95% I, I of Hollywood with, films. I agree yeah. with Lawrence that it functions that way. I'm not entirely sure that that's what they were going for with Keanu Reeves as just kind of the you person you project on, simply because I know that they were going for Will Smith, and Will Smith would not have been that. God, you're right. Yeah. Maybe they would have directed him movie. to try to be a little more... And then Morpheus was supposed to be Val Kilmer. Yeah. I oh also th- I also huh. think that the general idea of Morpheus being a black dude works a lot better than it being Val Kilmer as a white dude because there's the whole thing with like in in Zion like there are mostly like uh, ethnic minorities and this whole idea of awakening yourself from like oppressive structures I think just works better when like it's a black guy in leather. Yeah. Well, it's also like that <laughs> is also the an coolest glasses ever made. I'm sorry, say again. That is also an archetype unto itself or mm. a trope yeah. of the 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 black teacher. There's got another word. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Morpheus is awesome. So <laughs> that's what I'm gonna. You think that's air you're breathing? Yeah. yeah. No. His. Yeah. So, it's it's crazy. Like of all the things the movie does right, my God, all of the supporting characters blow it away. Um, both, I think Morpheus and uh, Agent Smith are just some of the most yes. memorable characters. Are yeah. they not? Not the, this. This freaking question never entered my head watching these movies. But now yeah. that I think about it, because I was like. I, I don't even what I actually really liked about Matrix was race is not an issue at all. It's just yeah. it's hu- it's one of my my thoughts on just the planet Earth in general. Where I'm like, we are there's uh, what's his name um, uh, Captain Adama from Battlestar uh, Edward James cool. almost gave a a wonderful speech at the UN one year where he said there is no black race, there's no white race, there's no Chinese race, there's no Mexican race. It's only one race and it's the human race. And I was like, oh wow, that really like. That resonated with me. Or I was oh, like, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I'm definitely projecting. I think oh. there are ways to read the film like that. Oh, sure, but sure. Yeah. But uh, what I liked about The Matrix was like it was humanity banding together against yes. an outside threat that was outside. Of, it was a race of robots, which, to be fair, the humans, according to the Animatrix, we really fucked ourselves over. Yeah. We did it to ourselves, um, which is who robot the, rights, man. Who are the good guys or the bad guys? Regardless. Just now realizing the agents are only white people. <laughs> yeah, they're white dudes in, in suits. suits with yeah, like they are like the uniform man. Haircuts. They're supposed yeah. to look like government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. I never. I didn't, or just didn't. like a board of directors at any corporation. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. it's it's amazing too how the first movie sets it up. They even though there's something off-putting about the agents, they are widely per- like it's easy to perceive them as the good guys because there's a lot of things they do, especially early on in the film, that is to protect humans. Yeah. For no reason. Like they, they, they show told, up with the cops. Yeah, they told like, the police not to go up to and it was for your protection, he says. They mm. they could have killed uh Neo at any point and they didn't. Um they were just they they put a tracker in him or whatever, but they kept trying to convince him, like, please stop pursuing this for your own good. Hmm. And to a degree they were right. So it, it, while they are also agents of like to try to bed down any unrest, they also are trying to keep people happy and alive. Yeah, I mean, the, the humans ruined their own planet, and they essentially built them a new reality for yeah. them to inhabit. I mean, I, yeah. that's, now that's pretty to... decent. They didn't. Ha- they could have just harvested their energy without there being a matrix. They could have just, like, yeah. drugged them into oblivion. But no, right. they gave them a world to inhabit. They even gave them uh, a paradise. That, yeah, that didn't work. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I love that part. Yeah, yeah. no. It's, such great detail. It, it is, People it is wouldn't accept that life was that easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Uh, and and so I think that plays into their depiction of, of being like, yeah, agents that you you instinctually distrust and then mechanically distrust as the movie goes on. My my only thought on that whole thing about the agents being the good guys, do you remember the little Asian girl when Neo's running away and she looks up and all of a sudden her mom is Agent Smith? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I'm almost positive. <laughs> 
Yeah. That mom's dead now. I know. <laughs> because they warp they basically just warp into different people's bodies. They never show them leaving a body. No. Unless they, it's dead. Well, unless they die. Yeah, so yeah, the helicopter pilot. Yeah. No, there's there's dead there's corpses all around. Yeah, they oh, are I, murdering people. Yeah, because like, they have to, there's there's one line they, they they explain it away. But they yeah. never they never show what happens when they leave a person and just jump from a different body do they just go oh wow I'm, I'm all good like I yeah, have no memory wake up yeah. there was well, a I thing mean, that's why they're, they're terrorists but some people would call them freedom fighters yeah the I same mean, thing they explore the, in V for Vendetta the same thing in Wanted actually uh, the same thing in the American Revolution yeah <laughs> there was a very briefly there was uh, leading up to Reloaded I mean I was obsessed I was like counting the days and stuff I probably watched the trailer for The Matrix Reloaded too many times but the whatisthematrix.com was basically the hub of all of the announcements about what the new films would be and for a while they had these short stories written by Neil Gaiman wrote one of them uh, a bunch of other really uh, revered writers wrote these short stories that took place in the Matrix universe and some of them were so good and I was always expecting there to be some sort of Matrix extended universe with novels and stuff like that how, like how you have now for Halo and Star yeah. Wars and all mm. that stuff. It could be comics. Yeah, it never really happened and I was surprised and I think it really is because these sequels left a really bad taste in people's mouth. Interesting. Mm. Well, I know, that was what, two years ago? Maybe even five years ago? They said they were going to do a Matrix reboot at some point. They're still or, talking about it. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's, there's still a whether it's a reboot, reboot I, or not. I just, I don't know. I think it's, there, there was a time for these movies and it passed and it happened and it's like, I think it think it's best to work on something new yeah. at this point. Like, I think they were, it was a special time to have a type of movie like this and like you're saying, Jared, I think as you get older, you can maybe appreciate the sequels a little bit more because they were a little ahead of their time and you can still look at them as not great films, but there's there's something to think about. There's yeah. something, yeah, which is more than most bad movies. That's actually that's the really weird thing about what people consider bad movies today. They're very divisive, and people seemed like Last Jedi, where people go, "Well, no, you can get something from it." So, I still I still argue that I think Last Jedi is a bad film. Yeah, but if you still get something out of it, that's good. That's good. It did yeah. something. It, it's at least at least they're trying to do yeah. something more than just be. The sort of stuff we grew up with, which is just frosting. <laughs> like it's so, muscle dude just punching stuff. Yeah, so we, we've been talking about the legacy of this movie a lot. Um, you know, we've been heady about it. Uh, I think a lot of the legacy was honestly in the special effects as well. But yeah. one of the, the fucked up legacy is that the Wachowskis just sold their production studio in really? Chicago. Recently? They just like put their building up for auction because they don't have anything going. Oh, they man. They don't have any movies. Yeah, Sense8 kind of petered out, huh? Yeah. What so a bummer. They, they literally well, have nothing on deck. They are which is so well, what about, talented. I mean, not, not to discount the, the movies they have done since The Matrix. So what? Uh, Cloud Atlas. There Alice. are some bad ones. And then Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending is awesome. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great terrible. Uh, it's great terrible. Yeah. I agree. It um, is. We always joke about, like, I want to see the book this was based on. Oh, there's no book you say. That, mo- <laughs> that movie makes me feel really bad for Eddie Redmayne. Oh. I mean, uh, his his accent and the way he talks is just so bad. But then again, it's like, you know, you go to work at a studio in Burbank. There's a green screen. There's two people come and tell you, okay, so this is going to be happening here. This is going to be happening here. And you talk like this, go. Yeah. You don't even know if you look stupid because <laughs> you don't even know what it's going to look like. So, I mean, in the way that The Matrix is like adapting a lot of anime and stuff into kind of the male fantasy, to me, Jupiter Ascending was adapting a lot of female trash mm. media into an amazing thing. 
It, it is basically Inuyasha in space, and that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and uh, I will always love that movie, even if it the execution is probably even sub matrix. That's one where it seemed like to me like they had a trilogy in mind, and they're like, "All right, we'll give you money to make one movie." Yeah, and they yeah. so it they all had in. to take six hundred pages of script. You can feel when the movies end yeah. in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> so that's the problems when the Wachowskis uh, fail. They fail spectacularly and very expensively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess Cloud Atlas a failure like financially. Oh so. yeah, I mean it was yeah. so expensive. I it didn't run movie. anywhere. I think it's still the most expensive independent film ever made because that movie was just like you know ten million here, twenty million here from all these foreign investors. Wow. Because uh, I mean, good for the Wachowskis. They really uh, it was their passion project, and they mm. put everything on the line and just pitched the hell out of it for years. Such yeah. an amazing film. True, true. Great, great book. I remember like I remember that that movie came and went in theaters. Like didn't get much. Did, I feel like it didn't get marketed at all. And then I just kind I got it from Netflix. Yeah, I don't know how you even market it. It's it's again yeah. kind of like heady concept type of movie. Mm-hmm. But I remember just getting it from Netflix randomly because I had such faith in the Wachowskis, and I was just spellbound the whole evening. That movie's amazing. Yeah. I need to watch it again. But that, that's another movie. People are I feel like people are torn where either they didn't care for it, they didn't get it, or they just love it. They love every second of that. I movie. love it. Have you guys? Has anyone seen Sense Eight? Yeah. You like it? Uh. Mm. I, I watched two episodes and haven't gone back. The thing oh. is, I know I'm going to like it if I just get through it, but it it does the it almost tries to push you away at the beginning. I don't know why it I don't know why it's structured the way it is. Yeah. Have you seen enough since eight? No, I mean I've played the first episode, but with a lot of TV, I feel like there's like an onboarding process. Like even when I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones, I was like, God, this looks terrible. The lighting is weird. Like, <laughs> but you just have to sit down, watch like four episodes until you kind of orient yourself and then you're in it and I just haven't given Sensei the time to do that yeah. also since it is too much good TV yeah it's uh for the like for people who are kind of creeped out by the the rave scene in Zion and Matrix 2 Sensei is like straight up like wet dildo slapping the floor of uh that's of, in like, the first sexuality. episode yeah. I saw that <laughs> it's it, it is very Sounds awesome very upfront about sexuality and very upfront about uh Identity being a very mutable thing, and I think that also could very could disquiet people who don't like to think about those things. Mm. Mm. Speed Racer was cool. Speed Racer was <laughs> awesome. So Ryan yeah. loved that movie. A lot of people love Speed yeah. Racer. That, that's a weird find a flaw. That's a weird. Honestly, that's Except a weird movie to stuff. hate on because you're like, like what? It's not true enough to the anime from the sixties. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the truest. <laughs> Adaptation ever made, and Christina Ricci looks like a cartoon, so she's perfectly cast. <laughs> I don't know. I I really that's a movie that's you should watch. I'm going to be honest. I saw that movie in the state that it is probably made to be watched in, and I barely remember it. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Sounds yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let, let's bring it back around. We have an extra long podcast going. Um, are there any kind of closing thoughts you guys have on the legacy of this movie? Jared, you've got to have something else you want to say about The Matrix. I mean, for the first movie, I still, I, to me, it hasn't aged a day. I think it's still a masterpiece. And not only a masterpiece, but it's just like great Hollywood cinema. Yeah. Uh, I I love it. And and it's always exciting for me to rewatch it because I'm always surprised with just how good and how every frame just feels so iconic. And I don't know if that's just because it's so important in my life, but I just feel like this is a movie you could show kids today and they'd still be captivated. Uh, I don't think we ever asked you, what's the Dude, I brought have? notes. <laughs> fucking notes. So many notes. So many notes. Well, you know, we did all, the whole trilogy on our movie podcast, and so this is like all the combined notes I took for the whole, <laughs> all three films. <laughs> what did we miss out on? Because I really want to know what's uh, in there. I mean, we could go, I mean, you see how many pages <laughs> yeah. there are here? We'll be here all day. <laughs> bullets and sub-bullets? Here, go for Just, it. Yeah, flip to a random one. Let's, let's crack it <laughs> yeah. out. Oh, okay. All right, random. It's all right, random page. This is... Okay, so this is a series of questions I had for re- for revolutions. I'm just gonna 
What is the source? What do they mean by this? You want me, want me to go through all of them, or do you want to just, actually just, focus? Just whatever yeah. ones you feel like, yeah. Uh, when Neo says, because I choose to, and then submits to Smith, what happens? Does he get manually deleted by the baby thing? Couldn't this baby <laughs> thing do that without all the other programs that Smith had copied himself onto? Do they cancel each other out? If we're, believed to, if we're to believe that the first movie is a Christological allegory, then the second movie is a critique of that allegory that can be co-opted, then does this movie just double back to the Christ metaphor? Does it reaffirm religion? Is it like the Francis Bacon quote, a little bit of philosophy will turn you into an atheist, a lot of philosophy will turn you back into a believer? So this is like more of all these Are you, things. I mean, now that the Wachowskis have closed their offices down, not really doing much, have you tried to arrange an interview or something maybe? Oh, that would be a dream. Uh, I haven't. I honestly thought it even entered my mind until you said something. Let's make it happen, Adam. I'm a, hey, I'm, a, I'm an idea guy. Dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, invite them out here. Go hang out on the WB lot. I'm sure there's a... I don't know, some leftover uh, squid monster you can hang out with. <laughs> I don't know. Do, do you ever have the thing like there are certain idols you don't want to meet? Uh, I mean, it's a bad idea, I think. Yeah, because they really did change my life, and if I had like a bad interaction with them, that would that would, think be would affect It doesn't have to be you. You could just be the producer off to the side. Okay. That's fine. I could I mean, send a surrogate. Yeah, you hire, you hire some actor type, a piano, I mean, if you will. They, yeah. they wrote writers in their contracts for the second two movies that they didn't have to do any publicity, like have no photos taken of them, answer no questions. Yeah. So they seem like they might not be the kind of people that the, like the, talking. The best yeah. time to talk about these types of movies, though, are 10, 20 years after they're done. Because people will just open up about Yeah, they can talk about yeah. the good so, stuff. Yeah, so like those stories of like Lana or whatever trying to kill herself out in the, the ocean. Like, yeah. That's like they can be more open about this stuff and talk about where they were and yeah. like the sort of production pitfalls they were dealing yeah. with. It took her 15 years to muster up the courage to tell that story. Uh, and Damn. it was to promote Cloud Atlas, which was which was her whole coming out thing. She had already gone through the transition years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think right after Revolutions came out in the theaters. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. Man. Yeah, fascinating anyway. stuff. But yeah, good, uh, crazy, crazy good movie that's had a wild impact, I think, on our yeah. universe, if it's real. <laughs> Lawrence, do you have any, any anything we didn't touch on? Because I know you were uh, really into this. Yeah, I mean, and luckily... I can imagine you in Texas in 1999. Yeah. Oh, are you from Texas? This spoke yeah. right what to part? you. Azel? North, oh. It's like north northwest of Dallas. Okay, I'm from Houston, Sugarland oh, okay. area. Okay. You know a whole is. other state, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, I do know the area, but yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I think, luckily, I, I won't seem like I'm overstating it to say it also changed my life in some pretty substantial ways. Um, because of this, I got into martial arts and have been have been training in that ever since. Uh, I've investigated stunt work, went to a fucking stunt camp in Georgia, all kind of fueled by this and, and a lot of Jackie Chan, too. So... Um, while while the first Matrix was sort of in was sort of solidified, I had already started asking philosophical questions. The second and the third really did open up my thinking a whole lot more. So yeah, it, it has definitely changed the trajectory of my life, uh, and I'm glad I can say that without sounding like I'm being hyperbolic based no, on not at the all. things you guys are yeah. saying too. I, I, it's um you know it's blockbuster film, it's mass media pushing through a message. You know, I think that is way deeper than most blockbuster films can even try and get to. And it's 100%. like, question everything. Mm-hmm. It's usually very palatable statements like, love is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, family. Which is there. But, yeah, well, mm-hmm. sure. But but it's it's couched in issues of humanity. And what is humanity and how do we define it? And all sorts of other layers that make it much more uh, nuanced than father loves daughter <laughs> and kills people to save her. <laughs> Heroes Rise. Adam, yeah. can I borrow that Blu-ray? <laughs> What's that? Can I borrow that Oh, I, was, I forgot to bring it in. I will bring it in tomorrow because I, I wanted to share it with the office. So it's the office's copy now, technically. But yeah. 
Right on. Well, uh, thank you guys for sticking around. If you stuck through this whole podcast, um, Jared, thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank to you for talk having me, guys. I respect the hell out of you guys. Yeah. I'm a big fan, so right I appreciate on. you guys letting thank me come you. on. Same back at you, man. I love Wisecrack. So okay. everybody, please check out Wisecrack. Um, they do great stuff. And you have a new channel, a spinoff channel recently, right? Kind of, yeah. So we had this show that was on the main channel called Earthling Cinema, which is kind of like our character comedy, like, thing that we've been, uh, that's been like our passion project for the last couple of years. So then we kind of spin that off, span, spinned that off into its own channel, which is called Aliens Guides. You can check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, check out, uh, Adam's been on our movie podcast, Show Me the Meaning for Eraserhead and Donnie Darko. Nice. And uh, yeah. Well, anything else to plug? No, that's about it. Wisecrack, show me the meaning. Yeah, Ryan? rock and roll. Sensei. We'll have to have you back soon, man. Oh, I appreciate what, that. What's yeah. something else you like almost as much as The Matrix? Uh, well, I love Jackie Chan. All right. Um, and Supercop. Yeah. I just watched, actually, Police Story 1 this oh, weekend. It's so, so bonkers. Oh, my God. So Is that the one where he falls down three stories in the yep, mall yep. and runns on the side <laughs> of a bus? Yeah. 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 Uh, Police Story 1 is, is incredible. Yeah. He actually, nice. like, that's, that's on its, like, seventh or sixth movie. He's still in it, but he's like acting and doing pretty well. And he's direct. He directed it. Yeah. Okay. And he oh, sings the song at the your end. Your notes hit the floor are so <laughs> loud. I'm sorry. Long. I just ruined the whole podcast. That was like a whole tree. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for coming by, everybody. Uh, I'll see you again next week. And thanks again, Postmates, for bringing us here this week. Uh, thanks a lot. Bye, everybody. Bye. Uh,